The goal of our time together this morning is to transition from our last series, Beautiful No, into our new series, Beautiful Yes. And we'll do that by looking at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. As we make that transition, we can remember that this has been the symbol of beautiful no. We spoke about God's love and we said that it pours down from heaven like the most lavish storm you have ever seen in your life. And yet we have a tendency to open up umbrellas. Umbrellas of worry, of doubt, of judgment, of fear and sin. At putting them up, these things that stop us from experiencing God's love. Now it's still raining. It's still pouring, in fact. And in time we'll find that the love of God becomes a bit of a hurricane and blows these umbrellas away. That's been our goal, to put them to one side, to uh, put away the umbrella in the rain and dance in it. The symbol, if you like, has been that of a discarded umbrella. We have a symbol, too, for the second part of our series. Here it is. Everyone's a little nervous, like, what's he going to do? Nothing weird. Here it is. It's a dress shirt. This is one of my dress shirts, and uh, it fits me really well, which is a big deal. I find it really hard to find shirts that fit, because I'm like too short for a large, but too chunky for a medium, you know? Like if they did an extra medium, right, that would be, that would be me. That's my size, right? Uh, but they don't do that, so I was really pleased to, to come across this line of shirts, which just like fits me really, really well. Why is it the symbol for beautiful yes, a dress shirt? Let's talk about it. We'll talk about it from 1 Corinthians 13, and it's a passage that's well known, a passage that's very famous for being all about love. And isn't it lovely? Isn't it beautiful? Um, let's read it at every wedding that ever happens in the history of weddings. And, um, you know, let's have Hallmark pull verses from it and put them in their cards. And let's get on Pinterest and find some old wooden hanging thing that has one of the verses written on it. It's just like, this is a, such a lovely passage that to us has become familiar and perhaps uh, at the, has become a little too sentimental for us. Well, it's important for us to realize that that's not how the Corinthians would have read it. This letter would have been sent to them and it would have been read publicly and they would not have said, that's so inspiring. Apollos, let's hang it on the wall. Right? They'd have said, how dare he? How dare he say those things to us? Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 is actually what we could call a bit of an apostolic beatdown. Paul writes to the Corinthians and in verses 1 through 3 he slaps them on one side of the face and then in verses 4 through 10 he slaps them on the other. First verses 1 through 3 where Paul describes their church, the impressive church that was in Corinth. And he says that they are full of, uh, they have the gift of tongues and prophecies, uh, understanding, faith and sacrifice. These are a, a powerful, brilliant, wise people who are experiencing miracles and, and going about ministry with great zeal. And yet at every step, Paul says, despite your gifts, you have nothing because you lack love. So look at verse 1. Your words are empty chatter. Without love, just a noisy gong, just a clanging cymbal. 
Verse 2, your power is self-deceptive. You are nothing, Paul says. Verse 3, all the sacrifices you make are really uh, to no avail. You make no progress. You gain nothing, he says. And then, having slapped them on that side, in verses 4 through 10, he turns to slap them on the other. Uh, He does so by describing the thing that they lack, the thing that matters most, namely love. But the way he does it is very intentional in that he describes love by listing all the things that the Corinthians struggle with. So look with me for a second. He says that love is patient and love is kind. It's not envying or boasting, not arrogant or rude, verse 4. But throughout this book of Corinthians, he's been challenging them for their lack of patience and their lack of kindness. He's been calling them out on the envying and boasting that takes place. He's been challenging them on their arrogance and rudeness. In other words, Paul is saying, love is all the things that you are not. Love is all the things that you are not. You are outwardly impressive, but you lack the thing that matters most. Now this apostolic beatdown should give us some pause for thought as well. Why? Because the church in Washington is eerily similar to the church in Corinth. A church that is full of successful people, a church that is full of important people, a church that is full of people who do not lack zeal, but have energy for life to attack it and do well. And yet we also ought to take care unless we focus on those things of verses 1 through 3, power, brilliance, success, influence, and forget verses 4 through 10, love. Would we hear the warning that Paul is issuing to the Corinthians this morning? So, Paul slaps them around a little bit, and then in verse 11, he gives us the the words that we're going to focus on this morning. You see them there? He says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Three reflections on this verse as we transition from one part of our series to the next. First reflection from this verse is that it's very clear Paul wants us to see, Paul wants us to understand that in spiritual terms, we begin life as children. We are children. It's been a theme for Paul in Corinthians. Back in chapter 3, he told us that we are infants in Christ in need of spiritual milk, not yet ready for for solid food. And now in chapter 13, by implication, he calls us children again. And what he's trying to do here is emphasize to us how it is that the Christian life works, what it means to become a Christian. You see, Becoming a Christian is not at all like becoming the member of a board where you've attended some meetings and you've given some money and now you're bringing all your accumulated life experience with you in order to benefit this cause. No, becoming a Christian isn't like that. Becoming a Christian is is like being born again. That's what, that's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, the change that happens when you become a Christian is so radical, so transformative, that it can't be described as being in continuity with anything. 
It can only be described as a new birth, a new life. You are a new creation in Christ. It is a a radical disjunction with everything that, that has come before. Now, on one hand, I think that's tremendously encouraging. And that might be tremendously encouraging to you this morning, that the grace of Jesus Christ offers you a new life. You might be here thinking, the very thing I need is a new start. A fresh start, away from the failures of my past, the struggles of today. And Jesus offers you that. He offers you this transforming grace that will make you new. There's great encouragement in the fact that becoming a Christian is like a new birth. But for the church at Corinth, and perhaps for some of us here this morning, there's also great challenge in that too. Great challenge in that too. Why? Because it doesn't matter who you are. When you became a Christian, you're a spiritual infant. So it doesn't matter if you never graduated high school or if you've got a PhD. You're, you're a spiritual child. And it doesn't matter if you've been, you know, mediocre in your career or a world leader. You're still a, a babe in arms, spiritually. It doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 80, You're still a wee one in God's eyes. And it's important for us to wrestle with this because a mark of immaturity, a mark of immaturity is to think that you're older than you are. It's immature to think that you're older than you are. Now, don't we see this with our kids all the time? Kids do this all the time. Kids always think their bedtime should be later than it is. Kids always think they can watch movies that they're not yet ready for. Kids always want to drive and date, and you say, you're seven, right? You know, that these, it's natural in a child to, to want to be older than you are. And, and kids, please know I'm not getting it, you guys. I was exactly the same way. Um, and this has really been revealed to me now that I'm a parent of teenagers, right? Lots of things are being revealed to me now I'm a parent of teenagers. But um, it's, it's interesting, because I look at my 15-year-old, sweet Mia, sitting in the view, and... Um, she seems so much younger to me than I felt when I was her age. That makes sense? When I was 15, I felt like I was 15 going on 21, right? She's my baby. She's, to me, she's 15 going on one. Now, of course, the truth is somewhere in between those two realities, right? But um, all of us, kids and adults, we know that we, we look back on this and know that this, there's this tendency to, to think that we're older than we are, and that tendency is actually a mark of immaturity. And in spiritual terms now, for us to think that we're farther along than we are actually reveals how far we've still got to go. The gospel brings to us this kind of humility to acknowledge that spiritually we're children. And I wonder, I wonder if you've embraced this. See, there's a danger in this town. You know, in, in everyday life, in your career, you may be powerful, you may be successful, you may be important. In the world's eyes, you may be so, but in God's eyes, you may still be a child. And I've got to tell you, can I just celebrate this? I love it. I love it when I see members in our church um, embracing this and getting this. So that we have um, CEOs putting on strange reflective vests and directing parking in our traffic law. We have men with stars on their shoulders who watch our babies in the nursery. We have very successful men and very successful women 
who understand that they're spiritual children and therefore a servant of all. And that only happens in the church. Uh, in the world, I make their coffee. <laughs> in the church, they watch our kids. Because they understand this dynamic. They understand their, their spiritual infancy, that they're babes in arms. Point one Paul has for us this morning is that we're spiritual children. Now, point two, uh, I hope will be clear even in the, the way we've spoken about point one, but point two is, yeah, we're children, and there's a very powerful sense in which that's okay. It's okay that we're spiritual children. Uh, look at what Paul says. When I was a child, I spoke, thought, reasoned like a child, and he doesn't say that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> one commentator says, Paul does not belittle the talking, thinking, acting of a child, these are characteristic of childhood. In other words, we love it that children would speak, think, and, and reason the way that children do. I love with kids when they hit that age about two, where they've started to say words and now they've started to string them together, but no one can understand them apart from their own mother. You know? So the kid says, and you look at the mom and she says, oh, he'd like a cookie, right? And you're like, how did you get that from that? You know, I, I don't know, speaking like a child. Um, thinking like a child, don't you wish you could recapture some of the wonder, some of the imagination of thinking like a child? Reasoning like a child, children reason, and you know, the debate you can get into with a three-year-old about the latest thing, you know? Children do speak, think, and reason like children, and they should. And they should. The principle here is never be frustrated with a child for being childish. I mean, on one level, that's so, so important, humanly speaking. Parents, this is such an important principle. Not to be frustrated with your kids for being kids. You know, kids, kids aren't many adults. They're children. They're they're four-year-olds, they're five-year-olds, they're six-year-olds. Um, and so often we see parents who, who are just um, place this weight of expectation upon their children to be something other than what they are, as if they should be behaving with the knowledge and interaction and discernment of, of a 21-year-old. And what happens when you put that weight upon your children again and again and again, they start to live with and be very aware of this vague sense of parental disapproval that you have over them. Because they're, they're not what you want them to be. That's a crushing weight that our, our, our children shouldn't carry. Don't be frustrated with a child for being childish. Uh, but if it's true physically, it's, it's, it's also true spiritually. It's true for us in the spiritual realm. Sometimes you might find that you're frustrated with yourself because you haven't made the kind of progress you'd like to make in your, your walk with the Lord. You're struggling with the same worries, the same doubts, the same fears, the same sins as you always have. And you know, sometimes you need to be patient with yourself. Working through certain problems, dealing with certain issues, learning how to live and love well. These things don't happen overnight. It takes time to figure them out. And if you're struggling, I don't want you to have this just sense of guilt and sense of shame and sense, you know, questioning whether you're you know, even a believer in the first place just because you're having this, this same old struggle. Growth takes time. Maturity takes time. Be, be patient with yourself. But 
even more so than that, if we should be patient with ourselves, we should be patient with other people. We should be patient with other people when they're not making the kind of progress that we would like to see for them. And this is very important to us as a church, that we have patience with each other, that this is a place where you can really come as you are with your brokenness and with your mess and then begin to work through that and pick through that together. We don't have to show up and and act like everything is well, but can take the time to grow, take the time to mature. I may have shared before, but you know one of my big regrets as a pastor, like looking back and like, I really got that wrong, was actually when I had lack of patience with a believer who had not long come to Christ. Young gal in our young adult ministry had become a believer uh, through that group and through the community that she'd found there and was beginning to kind of sort through what that meant for her life. And and one of the things that she wasn't really prepared to do was uh, move out from living with her boyfriend. This was a thing that she was kind of wrestling with and just uh, clearly that was what she needed to do, but she wasn't there yet. And I was far too hard on her. And I look back and really regret that. Because I didn't allow her to be a spiritual child. I expected her to have a spiritual maturity that it was unreasonable for me at that point to expect. And so really we don't want this church to be that kind of place, right? That kind of place where there's a vague sense of spiritual disapproval if you're not exactly where the Lord would have you to be. We want to see that it takes time. Growth takes time. Maturity takes time. And it's, and it's okay. A gospel-shaped culture allows us to navigate through and deal with that. So, point one, we're children. Point two, it's okay. Point three, though, comes from the second half of the verse. See what Paul says? When I was a child, I spoke, thought, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We're children, it's okay. But third, we were made for more. We were made for more. We start out life as spiritual children, but we're not meant to stay that way. Paul says, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. So it's good for a child to be childish. An 8-year-old shouldn't act like they're 18. An 18-year-old shouldn't act like they're 80. But it's also good for children to grow for children to mature. So an 80-year-old shouldn't act like they're 18, and an 18-year-old shouldn't act like they're 8. It's immature to think that you're older than you are, but it's also immature to think that you're younger than you are. And again, this is easily illustrated just as we, as we think about that dynamic with our own kids. There's so many things that kids do and it, that's fine that they do them and it would just be completely inappropriate if you did them, right? So what would you think if you walked into your you know, local giant and I was like lying on the ground screaming, right? <laughs> or if Rosie, my wife, uh, demanded a piggyback whenever her legs got tired, you know? Um, or Halloween. Halloween's are coming, right? The kids will all come around. If you show up at my door dressed as a ghost, that's weird. Okay? There they are. It's cute with the kid. I'll give them candy. You do it, I'm calling the police. Right? <laughs> there are things that our children do, and it's fine that they would do them, but adults should mature beyond them. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, we've got some growing up to do. We've got some growing up to do. 
You know, the landscape of American Christianity is littered with those who have settled for spiritual immaturity. And it's alive in our own hearts as well. This dangerous mediocrity where we believe, but we're not really prepared to wrestle through the implications of that belief for our lives. So we believe, but it's not really changing my marriage. We believe, but it's not really changing my sexual purity. We believe, but it's not really changing what I do with my money. We believe, but it doesn't really change how I do my my job. We believe, we believe, we believe, but it just doesn't impact that much. And Paul is saying, you're made for more. You're made for more than spiritual childishness. And that's what this series, Beautiful Yes, is all about. Wrestling with the fact that the gospel doesn't just save us eternally, but transforms life today. That you were not just made to say no to sin. You were made to say yes to a life lived for him. A life lived for Jesus in the gospel. That we need not settle and stay in our spiritual childishness. Which takes me back to the shirt. Uh, the shirt that I love and it fits. Um, fits me great because I'm an extra medium. If I put it on one of my wee boys, it doesn't fit them. Uh, it would drag to the ground and the sleeves would sag to the ankles. Now, there's a sense in which, isn't there, they'd be fully clothed. <laughs> there's a sense in which they are dressed. And yet there's another sense in which they've got some growing up to do They've got some filling out to do. And spiritually, there's a parallel. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, if you have asked for forgiveness of sins, and if you haven't, you can do so today, you are now fully clothed in his righteousness. The nakedness and shame of your sin has been completely covered. Your guilt is removed. Your sin is atoned for. You are fully dressed in his righteousness. Like the adulterous woman we reflected upon last week, you no longer need to be afraid. You no longer need to be afraid that you're going to be exposed or that your nakedness will be revealed to the crowd. You are forgiven and free, covered by his grace. But you might still have some grown up to do. You might be my wee boy in this shirt. You might need to fill out I certainly do. <laughs> Not physically, just spiritually. Right? Sure, I'll stop fitting in other ways. Right? But spiritually, we might need to, to grow up so that this thing called grace, in a sense, fits us in that we're walking in a way that is consistent with it. That it wouldn't just be a covering, but clothes that, that fit. So, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow morning. Um, umbrellas, shirts. You see what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to inflict little gospel reminders into your life. right? And I can see all of you get dressed. So this is going to be a helpful one. right? Um, when you're getting dressed tomorrow morning, think about this sermon. And thank the Lord that he has made you his child. That is a beautiful thing to celebrate. That he has made you his, his child. Secondly, thank him for his great patience that he is not frustrated with your childishness. He's not one of those overbearing parents. You do not need to live under a vague sense of divine disapproval. He is 
thrilled with you this morning. Just as I would, if I put this on one of my boys, I'm not angry with them that they don't fill it out, right? In the same way the Lord isn't angry with us that we've got some, some growing up to do. But then thirdly, as you do up that final button, ask him where he might want you to grow. Where is it in your life that you've got some filling out to do? Are there, are there parts of your life that you know are inconsistent with the gospel that you believe? Are there areas in life, your life where you just see a kind of immaturity and, and sense that, that it's time to mature? Where is it that the Lord would have you say not just a beautiful no to sin, but a beautiful yes to growth? Over the next few weeks, we'll explore these things together. And we're not all an extra medium, <laughs> but we can all find that the shirt fits. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for the honesty of your word, that you're, uh, you always tell it how it is. And so you are not in the least bit bothered to come to a group of uh, powerful, brilliant, successful, important people and say, you guys are a bunch of kids. And we want to receive that word this morning um, because it doesn't come in anger. It comes with great, great tenderness. Uh, you're okay with our childishness. You're patient with it. Uh, but you do call us to grow. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be um, thoughtful and engaged uh, in these next few weeks to consider how it is you're calling us to mature, that we might uh, grow into all the grace that we have been given. And we pray it in your perfect name. Amen.